I'm going to the exhort this morning. I, uh, I'm going to say some things I think it's time that are said to preachers across the nation. And so if you people who are lay people will just recline there on the pew and take a nap, uh, all you ladies can get up and leave if you'd like. Uh, I'm going to talk to preachers. When I talk to preachers, I find that, that uh, laymen love it because I say what laymen wish they could say. And, uh, and I find that when I talk to preachers, they usually end up with a sore side where their wife is punch them in the ribs every time I say something to them. Now, what I'm going to say this morning is not just confined to preaching, but it would be a little bit more appropriate, I think, or applicable to preachers than anybody else. I'll preach tonight, this morning. I'm not going to preach. I'm going to exhort, and I believe, believe with all of my heart that when you hear what I have said, you'll agree to one thing, that it ought to be said, and uh, it ought to be emphasized. I brought a little Bible study at my church on a Wednesday night. I, when I got through with it, my people begged me to put it in print. I have not done so yet. They did not know it was already in print. But I. Uh, no, I, uh, but I did bring a little Bible study and a little discussion, exhortation, I guess you'd call it. And uh, then I, somebody heard about it. Well, they asked me if I'd, I'd, I'd sell that tape, and I did. Some preacher got it and said, look, when you're at my church preaching, I want you to give that little talk that you gave on a Wednesday night. He said, I got the tape, and I want you to give it, and I did. Every time I've given it, somebody said, every preacher in America ought to hear it. It's not a great sermon. It's not a great Bible study. It's just something I think we ought to hear. I'm going to talk this morning on the subject of burden versus a call. A burden versus a call. Open your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter number 2. Ezekiel chapter 2. And he said unto me, Son of man, stand upon thy feet, and I will speak unto thee. In verse 1. And the Spirit entered in verse 2, it says, entered into me when he spake unto me, and set me upon my feet, that I heard him that spake unto me. And he said unto me, Son of man, I send thee to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that hath rebelled against me, they and their fathers have transgressed against me even unto this day. For they are impudent children and stiff-hearted. I do send thee unto them, they shall say, thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord. Down verse number 1 of chapter 3, please. Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, <clears throat> eat that thou findest. Eat this roll, and go speak unto the house of Israel. 
<coughs> so I opened my mouth, <coughs> and he caused me to eat the roll. And he said unto me, Son of man, cause thy belly to eat, and fill thy bowels with this roll that I give thee. Then did I eat. I like the way all the way through this. He said, Stand up. He said, I stood up. He said, Eat the roll. Then did I eat, he said. And then down at verse 15. Then, as after he had obeyed, then I came to them of the captivity of Telephes that dwelt for the river of Kibar, and I sat where they sat, and remained there astonished among them seven days. Our Heavenly Father, Thou hast brought us on purpose to this place. We are not here by accident, we are here by divine appointment. And if we are here by divine appointment, there's something we're supposed to hear, something we're supposed to learn, and something we're supposed to do. And I pray you help us to fulfill the purpose of God for this hour. In Jesus' name, Amen. Paul said in the famous 10th chapter of Romans, Brethren, my prayer to God and heart's desire for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Now, Paul said, my prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. That wasn't the only prayer that Paul prayed, but that was the consuming prayer of his life. He said, my heart's desire for Israel is that they might be saved. That was not the only thing that Paul's heart's desire, heart desired, but it was the consuming thing that his heart desired. He said in the chapter previous, in chapter 9 and verse 1, he reminds us that he would be willing himself to be accursed for his brethren, his kinsmen, according to the flesh. That word accursed there is the word anathema, which means Paul is saying, I would be willing for my people, if you'd save them, if they'd be saved, to be lost, stand before the great white throne judgment, be condemned and die and go to hell if my people would be saved. Moses said nearly the same thing in Exodus 32, 32, when he told God that if he would not save his people, to blot his name out of the book also. Well, I think it's a wonderful thing. I respect the burden that the Apostle Paul had for his people. I respect the burden that Moses had for his people. And I am convinced that we as Baptists fundamental preachers need to have constantly a burden, a broken heart, and a burden for what we're doing. Yet, a burden can be a grave danger. I said a burden can be a grave danger. I got a letter from missionaries in my briefcase in my room. A missionary who called me two years ago and said, Dr. Hiles, I have a burden for the mission field. He told me a certain area across the ocean. He said, I, I'm going, I'm, I'm, I want to know what you think about me going to the mission field. He said, I have a burden for it. I went there to visit 
I have a burden for it. I said, why are you going? He said, because of my burden. I said, don't think you ought to go. He said, Brother Hiles, my heart's broken for this particular mission field. I said, that's not enough reason to go. But he said, Brother Hiles, it's my burden. It's the burden of my heart. And I said, that's not enough reason to go. You're making the mistake of your life if that's the reason you're going to the mission field because you have a burden. Have a letter from him. Dear Brother Hiles, it's from the mission field overseas. First three words, you were right. Now, the sooner everybody in the world learns that, the better off the world's going to be. <clears throat> but I have a hard time convincing everybody. But uh, he said, you <coughs> were right. I went because I had a burden. I made the mistake of my life. Now I'm thousands of miles from home, resigned one of the finest churches in his state. He's building a great church. Great fellow. Tremendous guy. Love him dearly. And he said, you were right. He said, we made a mistake. We should never have left. Uh, next time, he said, I'll listen to you. I'm thinking now about a well-known pastor, one of the greatest preachers in this country, has preached from behind this book. Who went to a foreign country to visit? He got a burden for that country. He went again in a few months and stayed longer and got a greater burden. In so doing, he lost the burden for his church and got a burden for this country. Wasn't long that he was going maybe twice a year and staying several weeks. And the burden transferred from his church to the foreign country. And he's no longer in his church. Now, here's the danger. The danger is putting the burden before the call. You're not supposed to do God's will because you have a burden to do it. You're supposed to do God's will because God says to do it. You're not supposed to go soul winning because you have a burden. You're supposed to go soul winning because you're commanded to go. There's a call to go. Now, when you put the burden before the call, you place yourself in a grave danger of doing something very foolish in your life. Psalm 126.6 does not say, He that weepeth and then goeth forth. But he that goeth forth and weepeth, the going precedes the weeping. Ezekiel here in our, our scripture this morning, Ezekiel, God said, Ezekiel, stand on your feet. He said, okay, he's still on his feet. He didn't say, I've got a burden to stand on his feet. He said, God told me to stand on my feet. He said, Ezekiel, I want you to go to this people. Ezekiel said, okay, I'll go to the people. He didn't say, I have a burden to go. He said, God told me to go. He said, now I want you to eat this roll. He ate the roll. He didn't say, I have a burden to eat it. But he ate it. And then, after he went, he said he sat where they sat, astonished, for seven days. And then God gave him the burden with which to fulfill the commission that he obeyed because of a call. But you put the, the call, I'm sorry, the burden before the call, 
and you're in grave danger. A burden is a reward to those who obey the call. A burden is the inspiration given to those who are willing to work without it. A burden is the vehicle that transports you where you would walk again. A burden is an expression of God's love after obedience has expressed your love to Him. A burden is God making you want to do what you would have done anyway. When I was a kid down in Texas, my mama said to me, Son, eat your okra. I said, Mama, you don't eat the stuff. You just suck it and it slides down. And as you suck it down, little ball bearings escape out the side. Mama said, eat your okra. I ate my okra because Mama said, eat my okra. When I got four years old, Mama said, eat your okra. I ate my okra because Mama said, eat your okra. When I was five, I ate my okra because Mama said, eat my okra. Never liked it. Never liked it at all. When I was six and seven, I ate my okra because Mama said, eat my okra. When I was eight and nine and ten, I ate my okra because Mama said, eat the okra. When I was eleven and twelve and thirteen, I ate my okra because Mama said, eat the okra. When I got about thirteen or fourteen years old, an amazing, miraculous transformation took place in my salivary gland. I learned to like crazy stuff. I like And today, I mean this, today, okra is my favorite food. You won't believe this, but if you put a bowl of okra, I mean boiled okra, I'm talking about that little stuff that stings your fingers before you cook it and, and you soak after you cook it. That is usually, it looks like it's, uh, it's soaking in castor oil that's been heated. Little ball bearings escaping out the side. You put a bowl of boiled okra right here. And over here, you won't believe this, but it's true. Over here, you put a New York sirloin strip steak, an inch and a half thick, with mushroom sauce on the top, and, uh, and a baked potato up the sandwich with melted cheese on it. You put, you won't believe this, you won't believe it, you put that fried okra right, our boiled okra right over here, that got shiny sucked down, and the uh, New York sirloin strip over here. You won't believe this. You put one here and one here. I'll eat them both. But I love this stuff. I love it. You know why, you know why I love it? I think God said, yeah, it's because your mama said eat it for ten years. I'm going to give you a good t a taste for it. And that's what a burden is. A burden was never meant to be a reason for you changing churches. Now I wonder how many men have left the will of God in their life because they got a burden for somewhere else and went without a call to go somewhere else. You know, here's God's divine order. Number one, a call. Number two, obedience. Number three, sight. Number four, burden. I said number one. Oh, God says do it. That's enough reason to do it. God said do it. 
Number two, obedience. Number three, faith. Number four, a call. Something very interesting. It's like salvation. Salvation, fact, faith, and then the feeling. The feeling is a bonus that God gives you to make you enjoy what you've got when you put your faith in Christ. But you've got the fact, then you've got the faith, then you've got the feeling. Now the same thing true in God's service. First is a call. Second, there's an obedience to that call. Feeling and no feeling. Burden and no burden. Third, there's the sight. And fourth, there's the burden. That's an amazing thing to me. How that we preachers can go out soul winning and say to a fellow, do you know if you died today you'd go to heaven? Uh, no, I don't. Would you like to know? Yes, I would. If I told you how you could know, would you do it? Well, I don't feel anything. And we'll sit there for 30 minutes and, and say, you don't have to feel anything. You don't have to feel it. You get the facts and you put your faith in Christ. He'll take care of the feeling. You just put your faith. It's not by feeling. And then go right home and resign the church because we have a burden to go somewhere else with no call. I'm saying that danger, very dangerous, when a burden precedes the call and you take action on the basis of a burden. I want to give several observations about it. Observation number one, a burden leads many outside the will of God. I don't want to misplace burden now. I believe in burden. But a burden leads many outside the will of God. Now follow me carefully. Gentlemen, you don't have to be led to stay. God led you there. 27 years ago, God led me to heaven. I've never asked him one time. I called a say. He doesn't have to lead me to stay. He led me there. I gave God my phone number and my address and told him to call me or come to see me. By the way, he already had it, he said. But uh, I gave him my phone number and my address. And I said, now, I'm, you told me to come to Hammond. I don't have to check with you every day to see if I'm supposed to stay. Listen, there are hundreds of preachers every year have no call anywhere else, resign their churches, and sit in limbo. Why? They've lost the burden. It's not any fun anymore. They've lost the burden. Well, fun or no fun, burden or no burden, you're supposed to follow God's call and obey God's command simply because God said to do it. I am... Um, when I was in the paratroopers, I won't tell you when it was, but Abraham Lincoln was the one who sent me the letter. When I was a paratrooper in World War II, they had the, the general order for the guard duty. And one of those general orders was to continue at the last command until you hear from headquarters again. The Jimmy. I said, continue at the last command until you hear from headquarters again. We had a guy in our outfit. He was a gold brick. Uh, well, that's still a valid word or not. He was a gold brick. He hated the Army of the Passion. He hated every officer starting with the lieutenant and up to the general in order and in priority. He hated the Army. His name was Hiles. Jack Hiles was his name. And... Uh, but we had another guy that hated the Army even more than Hiles did. Well, now don't forget that general order. The general order to continue at the last command until you hear from headquarters. We were out doing some close order drill one day in Fort Benton, Georgia. I'm sorry, it was in uh, Fort Hood, Camp Hood, Texas. It was called Camp Hood, Texas. Now Fort Hood. 
Full order drill. Now that's when you say forward, march, up, up, two, three, four, column left, march, up, two, three, four, column right. That kind of stuff, you know, marching in line and so forth. And so the sergeant said, forward, march. Now this guy hated this sergeant with a passion. Anybody's right with God hates sergeant. But anyway, he hated him with a passion. And uh, the sergeant said, forward, march. So the whole platoon was marching forward. Then the chief came up, and Captain Fuller came and uh, called the sergeant over. Well, the sergeant got interested in the captain. He was a little nervous anyway, and was sitting there in the jeep, and he forgot to tell us the hall. We kept on going. We got to the end of the field, and all of us stopped but this one guy. He said, Jack, that's me. I said, call me Dr. Hiles, fella. But he said, he said, Jack, he said, uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to obey my orders. I said, what's that? He tried to stop it. He kept on going. He climbed the fence. He left the camp. He marched on into town. He's gone. They wall. They, they court-martialed that fella, and he won the case. He was obeying the last command until he heard from headquarters, and did he ever hear from headquarters. But he was obeying the last command. Now, gentlemen, that fella, uh, you, you, we need some of what that fella had. Continue at the last command. Did he hear from headquarters? It's the last command. Uh, was uh, to go forward, you keep on going, you lose your burden, obey the command, you lose your thrill, obey the command, lose your excitement, obey the command. The command is the reason for action and not the, and not the burden. It leaves many outside God's will. A burden, with, a misplaced burden, causes many to leave where they shouldn't leave, and its presence causes many to go where they shouldn't go. Now, I'm going to shock you. I've been soul winning for my soul 39, 40 years. There's not been one single week that I haven't won someone to Christ in personal soul winning in 39 years. And I have written soul winning books, and I've trained soul winners and so forth. I do not ever think I've wanted to go soul winning. I do not remember the time when I started soul winning with the burden. Well, you said you go every week. Why do you go? Because we've got a command that says we're supposed to go. That's all I mean. Now, I'll say this. I don't recall the last time that after I've witnessed a few people, I didn't get a burden. I mean, God said, son, it's a hot summer day, but you're going soul winning, and you're going without a burden. You're going because I said so. He says, Holy Spirit, go down and give the fellow burden on about the third day. I'll be quite frank with you. There's sometimes I don't want to preach. I'll preach you next month. I'll preach my 43,500 sermons. I suspect about a couple of three thousand of those I didn't want to preach. Especially if the Dallas Cowboys were on Monday. Anyway, 
I, uh, I, uh, there have been uh, several of those. I didn't want to preach. You say, you mean Dr. Jack Hyams sometimes doesn't want to preach. That's just what, that's what I meant. That's why, that's why I said it. I meant it. If you could interrupt me, I could get through this thing faster than just run. You say, sometimes you don't want to preach. That's right. Well, why do you do it? Because I'm called. That's why. I'll guarantee you one thing. You is the time when I get in the middle of a sermon but I don't get carried up, boy, and don't want to quit. And most of you have noticed that. You'll notice it today. Why? Observation number two. A burden. Hand me carefully here. Not only does a burden sometimes lead a person outside God's will, but sometimes a burden can cause compromise. We said a while ago, the Apostle Paul said, My prayer to God, my supreme prayer to, prayer to God, my, my big, captivating prayer to God, is that Israel might be saved. My big, supreme heart's desire is that Israel might be saved. That's the question. Or, put it this way, what wasn't Paul's burden for Israel? Yes, it was. But where did Paul spend most of his ministry? Outside of the promised land. Rome, Ephesus, Thessalonica, Philippi, Galatia, and others. And Paul, now, I may, I'm going to, um, I, I have an idea I'm going to divide some theologians here, but I think that Paul made a mistake when he went back to Jerusalem. But whether he did or not, one thing I do know, Paul had a burden. And his burden was so great that Paul did something he never would think Paul would do. He took a Jewish vow. He got his head shaved and took a Jewish vow. This is the fellow who wrote Colossians 2, 14 through 17. Let no man judge you in meat or in drink or of the new moon or second holy day or the shadow of things to come, the bodies of Christ, all these things in the name of the cross. This is the fellow who wrote Galatians 4 and 5. Please, I'm afraid of you, lest I bestowed labor upon you in vain. He observed times and seasons. Paul said, don't let back into the old legalism of Judaism. But Paul himself did. Why? Because the burden was so great for his people of Israel, he was willing even to do that which he should not have done to fulfill that burden. A misplaced burden can cause us to do things we wouldn't otherwise do. A misplaced burden can cause us to yield convictions we wouldn't otherwise yield. I think there are many men who've lost their standards of old-fashioned fundamentalism. I'm talking, let's just put it down on the bottom shelf. I'm talking about dress. I'm talking about tanks. I'm talking about hair. I'm talking about all the spectrum we used to stand for and don't anymore. I'm saying I think that many of us have cut our standards sincerely because of a burden for souls. I'm going to tell you something. You never obey one command of God at expense of another command of God. God himself would not save man outside right and justice. And before God would have saved the soul without his justice being satisfied, God would let the entire world go to hell and would save nobody. God said, here is my 
Oh, my bargain with you, I'll save you, but my justice must be satisfied. And the commandments of God are given to us as a total entity, and we're not supposed to pick out one commandment and obey it and, 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 and disobey other commandments in an effort to obey one. For example, Dr. Kelly put it a while ago, I'll, I'll, I'll underline what he said. If I've got to use rock music to get young people saved, I'll not get young people saved. If I've got to strip my kids half naked and send them down to a beach and let them go mix bathing and get a bunch of mix bathers saved, I'll not get the mix bathers saved. You see, we're not supposed to obey one command of God at the expense of all the commands of God. We're supposed to obey all of them. Now bear in mind this, soul winning is the great command of God. But it's not the only command of God. And when you break one commandment, you break all the commandments. And you're not supposed to get such a burden for one commandment that you disregard the rest of God's commandments. I'm saying a burden can often cause compromise. I think a burden sometimes can cause a man to have certain guests in his church he shouldn't have. Certain famous people. He wouldn't have common people with their same standards and convictions. I'm talking about that though. Forgive me if I don't uh, let the conviction leak out. I have a problem there. Sometimes it's a little hard to tell what I believe. I'm talking about Johnny Cash. I'm simply saying, I think that many good men in this room and all of this nation have yielded a conviction and compromised, but their motives were holy because they had a burden. But the truth is, a burden, if you don't watch it, will cause you to leave other commandments of God, which is not according to God's plan. Observation number three. Not only is a burden as a burden lead many outside God's will, and a burden can often cause compromise, but a burden is often fleshless. Let me illustrate what I'm saying. Palm Springs, California is one of the most heathen cities in America. New York City is one of the most heathen cities in America. Probably Palm Springs is more heathen than New York City, but it's rich. Did you ever hear anybody go to New York City, a preacher go to New York City and say, God broke my heart. I feel a burden for New York City. I'm going to go there and start a church. Now, I think folks ought to go to New York City and start churches, but they shouldn't go because they have a burden. They ought to go because they have a call. Good night. Every time I go to New York City, I have a burden for it. When I went to Cairo, Egypt, I got a burden for it. I wanted to go there and start a church. When I went to Jerusalem, I wanted to go there and start a church. When I went to Monterey, Mexico, I wanted to go there and start a church. I had a burden, but didn't have a call. But now, did you ever hear anybody come back from Palm Springs, California, and say, I've got a burden to start a church there? They're just as lost in Palm Springs as they are in Brooklyn. Now, what's the difference? It wasn't the soul of the people concerned you. It was the poverty of the people. It was the living, it was the living condition of the people. And it was a fleshly burden because of the living condition. If you were not, if you were strictly because of the heathen condition, why not Palm Springs? Why not West Palm Beach? Now I'm saying that often a burden, see, the new place always has the advantage. Because you don't know the burdens of the new place. 
But the burdens that you left the old place are waiting for you at the new place. And the same longhorn deacon that you ran from has a tone where you're going. In 1967, I preached in Chicago in a round robin toward the Lord conference with Dr. John Rice, Dr. T.D. Vick, Dr. Bob Jones Sr., and myself. One night, Dr. Rice would preach at Delvin Avenue Baptist Church. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. would preach at Northside Gospel Center. Dr. G.D. Vick would preach at uh, Oak Park Bible Church, and I'd preach at First Baptist Church at Hardy. The next night, we'd rotate, and each of us would go to another church. So, uh, four nights, each of us preached at each church. I stayed on the north side of Chicago, and I asked somebody, I was going to the First Baptist Church at Harvey the last night. I asked someone where it was. They said it was on Tallstead Street. Well, I didn't know it was 200 blocks south of the loop Chicago. I was on the north side. Well, I noticed Halstead Street was right close to the hotel. So I thought, well, I'll get on Halstead Street. I didn't know about freeways and so forth. I got on Halstead Street and drove and drove and drove. I went to 37 through 37,614 stoplights. By the time I had driven halfway to Harvey, down Halstead Street, on a busy street in Chicago, tears streaming down my cheeks. I said, dear God, if you'd let me come to this city, I'd love to come here. Please let me come. And for an hour's driving, I said, hardly speak to drive, because God broke my heart for Chicago. I said, oh my God, this is the city of R.A. Tony. And this is the city of Paul Raider. And this is the city of A.J. Einstein. And this is the city of Billy Sunday. And this is the city of White Moody. And this is the city of James M. Gray. My heart broke, but didn't go to Chicago. Why? I had no call to Chicago. Had a burden, but had no call. Observation number four, a burden can lead. A burden can lead. And that's why you resigned that church without any other place to go. Because you lost your burden. But you're not supposed to stay because you have a burden. You stay because you have a call. And God said, this is where I want you to go. Now, look, don't you call him every day and see if he's supposed to stay. Tell him where you live. Tell him your phone number. And stay there. If you never hear from him again, meet him at the rapture from there. God is often testing us to see if we'll obey him without a burden. You know the difference in a Lee Robertson and most of the rest of us? I think Lee Robertson is a patriarch. I don't know a greater man than Lee Robertson. He's, he's, he's one of my heroes. And one of the few heroes I've had since you. 
But I think there are preachers here that can preach perhaps as good as he can. And I know there are preachers that can preach better than I can. Well, what's the difference in Lee Robertson and the rest of us? Here it is. Lee Robertson stayed when he faced the same problem that caused you to leave. You don't hear about his problems. He doesn't call you up and say, I've got a problem, need advice. But he hasn't. And the same ones you have. There has no temptation taken you, but such is his common command. Now the difference is this. See, Robertson came to say, when he faced the same thing that caused you to say, I think my work is finished. I think it's time to resign. See, Robertson said, I think I'll get me charged and start up again. Why? Because he had a call and God called him there. Oh, I tell you, it's time preachers decided to unpack the furniture, unpack your suitcase. And God leads you somewhere else, you ought to have to pry your way, beg you to go. Observation number five. A burden misplaced often causes heartache. It often causes heartache. Illustration. We operate many buses. In fact, I'll be quite frank with you. That's one reason I'm here this week. Our church is starting some Sunday school bus routes in the Chattanooga area. Any folks from Highland Park not getting fed? Well, you'll see the buses. You won't be able to tell what they are because they're not painted, but, but, but you see one that won't run, that's it, get on it. If I come to our Sunday school, we're loading up the bus now for a week from this coming Sunday. But we operate buses. Now follow me. Because we operate buses, often there are families that work on bus routes, and they'll meet some poor little bus kid. That little bus kid will have some terrible home situation, and they're unbelievable. So this family, I think, with misguided love and zeal, will bring this little teenage bus girl into their home to live. And in so doing, make the mistake of their lives. They sacrifice on the altar of that little girl their own children, sometimes their own marriage. And heartache follows. I wonder how many preachers are in New York City out of the ministry right now who went there because of a burden, without a call. I could name five that are dear friends of mine out of the ministry right now in New York City selling used cars or insurance who left where they were strictly on the basis of a burden. Now, I believe in a burden. I spend most of my life preaching to folks that have a burden. And, uh, but the burden is to help you accelerate the fulfillment of your obedience of the call of Almighty God. It often calls it perfect. You know, the greatest missionaries in the world, in the history of the world, 
never saw their mission field before they went. There's a safety in them. They could not have gone to cause of a burden caused by sight. They went to cause of a call given by God. Observation number six. A burden, a misplaced burden, often causes us to stop obeying. I want you to follow. Nobody in the Bible, as far as I know, I don't know of anybody in this book that ever found the will of God by seeking it. Lord, what is your will? Every once in a while, some of our house Anderson students would come to me and say, Well, the house, well, one fellow came not long ago. He said, Dr. House, would you help me find the will of God? I said, just have to have a copy right here. Says, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every preacher. What he said, but I won't know where to go. I said, somewhere in the world. You can't be far wrong. Listen, if one has the time that we spend seeking the where of God's will, or spent doing the what of God's will, God would tell us the where of his will. There are two parts of God's will, the where and the what. And the what is more important than the where. It is more important that you do what he said than be where he said be. And the world is full of men of God, preachers and missionaries especially, who are sitting in the geographical center of the where of the will of God, doing nothing about the what of the will of God. Why should God send you 5,000 miles away to do nothing? You're doing it well where you are. Came to him while he was busy and said, I've got something for you. You're already doing the what of the will of God. Now you said, I want you to go this where and do the same what you've been doing. And a lot of us even get busy knocking on doors and winning souls and building soul winning groups and starting bus routes and reaching folks for God and obeying the what of God's will. You wouldn't have to worry about the where because God's not going to move you somewhere if you're not doing the what. You get this and doing the what, God might want you in a better where. Isn't that good? I had, if God wanted me in Tucson, Arizona, I'd rather be in Possum Shop, Connecticut, 2,000 miles away from where God wanted me, doing what God commanded me to do. Then be right in the center of God's geographical will, not doing the what. I believe in doing the what. That's the where. But you don't find out the where till you get busy doing the what. Observation number six causes us to stop obeying. The basis for action is obedience. 1959, January, it may have been late December of 58. I got a letter from the First Baptist Church of Hammond, Indiana. I did not even know where Hammond, Indiana was. I suspicion that it was somewhere in Indiana. I did not know it was near Chicago. The letter said, Dear Reverend Hyde, 
But it starts like that, it never impresses me a bit. Reverend Mike. Dear Reverend Mike. Your name has been given to us along with 66 others. Let me tell you how my name was given. We had a fellow on our, they had a fellow on the deacon board named George Hughes Gay who ran a little store about the size of a half choir here. Sold everything. You've seen them. Sold souvenirs, marriage licenses, fur coats, religious books, Bibles, name it, sold everything, and didn't know what he had. When he got his catalog down, he said, give me some of this and some of this and some of this. He had just enough business for religious books where he had one shelf about the width of this pulpit where he kept religious books. Just enough to get a catalog from Zondervan Publishing. One day he was looking through the catalog, coming through the catalog between customers. Had one last week, one was coming in next week. He's sitting there just sort of lounging around, reading the Zondervan catalog, and he came across one of my books, Zondervan Publishing. And he began to read about the statistics of the Miller Road Baptist Church in Garland by Pastor. He tore out that little thing just about that size out of the catalog and took it to the pulpit committee chairman at the next weekend. Nobody there had ever heard of it. He tossed it on the desk and said, that's the fellow you ought to call. So they just sent an application. I, I filled out one part of the application where it said comment. And I said, don't believe in applying for churches. I said, don't believe in sending out applications for churches. I did, I wouldn't believe in what you asked on this one. I said, now why don't you have all night prayer meetings, get on your knees and pray down God's man instead of application down God's man. I said, if you pray all night long, God tells down the man, give me a call. But if not, don't bother me. In several weeks, we got an answer back that Dear Reverend Howe, we're interested in your application. Would you meet us, please? Would you come to Hammond and preach for us? I wrote back and said, Norwood. I wrote back and said, I wouldn't meet you one block north of the Garland, Texas, Sidland. You say, why? Because Yankees lived up there, folks. Now, I love Yankees now, but I didn't then. And especially, I didn't want to go up north and win a bunch of Yankees to Christ and get, take them to heaven with us for eternity. He said, where did you want Yankees to go? Well, I don't believe in purgatory. So, through a process of time, I was preaching in the Chicago area. Not there, but And when I finished preaching, two men walked up to the front and said, that's how we're members of the pulpit committee of the First Baptist Church Hammond. It's been months since I've seen that. I heard something. They said, would you come and preach for our church just once? You feel like maybe God wants you to come. I said, no, I won't. Well, they said, well, look, would you come out and look over the situation? I said, no, I won't. They said, would you meet with the committee and consider it? I said, no, I won't. They said, well, would you eat a steak with us for lunch? I said, yes, I will. So, we went to a place and had a steak. And when I got there, to my surprise, the entire pulpit committee was there from first time the church came. We had a nice meal. When it was over, the chairman said, asked, would you consider our church now? I said, no, I won't. He said, well, would you, would you uh, come and preach for us? I said, no, I won't. So George Hughes and Gay, the same fellow that ran the big department store, 
He stood and said, well, we, we did buy your steak. We, we bought your steak. We paid for it. The least you can do is pray one prayer about it. Should I come to Hammond to visit? Amen. Well, always being willing to do the least that I can do, I agreed to do so. And so I promised to do so. But I forgot the promise. Flew back to Texas. Three months passed. Three months. Three o'clock in the morning, driving back from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, to Garland, Texas, on a Wednesday morning, I came to a town called Denton, Texas. Just before I got to see you, how to have signs, hotel, holiday inn, five miles away, on the right, and so forth, I, I got to pray. I said, dear, oh, I said, Lord, I forgot that, that promise I made that deacon three months ago. I promised him I'd pray a prayer. I said, I know it's silly and you know it's silly, but I believe in keeping my promise. So I sort of giggled and grinned and I said, dear Lord, should I go visit Hammond, Indiana? Amen. Within five seconds, on the right side of the highway, in neon were three words. Hammond, welcome. Now, it was a Hammond service station in Denton, Texas. In paint, with painted words, it said, clean restroom, cheap gas, mechanic on duty, but in neon it said, Hammond, welcome to you. I stopped the car, got out and felt the sign to be sure it was there. I, I walked over and felt it. I was scared to death. Absolutely scared to death. I got back in the car, trembled as I continued driving. That was Wednesday. Three hours Wednesday morning. That night I had to leave again to go to Lake Louise, Georgia for a tour of the Lord's conference. So I took my deacon chairman with me. He was going to uh, drive Lake Louise through the night. All the time I thought about that sign last night. Hammond, welcome to you. Hammond, welcome. We're driving. The deacon chairman drove from Dallas to Little Rock, and then I drove Little Rock to Memphis. He was sleeping while I drove, and I got to thinking about that sign. I said, Dear God, that sign last night. Are you trying to tell me something? Let me know. I'll go visit there if you say to. I went to sleep while I was driving. I woke up at about that far from the six-wheel truck. I jammed the brake and tried to and finally kept the car in the road and just barely tipped the back of the truck. Would you like to know what two words on the back of the truck? Hammond, Indiana. Twenty-seven years since then, I've been looking for a truck that says Honolulu, Hawaii. Hammond, Indiana. I said, dear God, if you get me to Sequoia Falls safely, if they ever do call me again, I'll go visit with them. Before I got out of the car, I rolled the window down, asked what the office was before I got out of the car. Somebody came out of the office and said, there's a long-distance call for Dr. Jack Hyam. I said, it's from Hammond, Indiana, isn't it? They said, how did you know? I said, I saw some signs along the way. I got on the phone and I said, I'll come to visit. Well, I said, there's no flowers there. He said, there's no flowers there's a crown. But I said, the air is thick and there's nothing but noise and din. But he wept as he led me back. He said, there is more. There is sin. But I said, the sky is black and the fog is hitting the sun. He said, but souls are black who walk in darkness sometimes. But I said, I'll miss my friends. And my friends will miss me, they say. He said, my child choose tonight if I am to miss you or they. I beg for more time to be given. He said, my child, is it hard to decide? It will not seem hard in heaven to follow the steps of thy guide. So I took one look at the town and field and cast my eye toward the town. He said, my child, won't you yield and exchange your flowers for a crown? So 
And with his hand, with mine, into my heart came he. Now for 27 years, I've walked in a life divine, in a path I once said I went to Hammond. I had no burden. For 16 months, I had no burden. I went so long. For 16 months, I wanted to go back to Texas. I had no burden. Two years ago, I'd had the burden when I was in Chicago. No burden at all. What a call from Almighty God. Now, for 27 wonderful years, I've been obeying that call. Burden has come and gone. Call. God is without defense. 27 years I've been trying to obey the commands of God the place where his call led me. He has my phone number and he has my address. He does not have to call me up tomorrow and say I want you to stay in heaven. If the phone doesn't ring I say Oh, men of God, call of God! Don't let some little flimsy tingle that you have in your breast somewhere cause you to take your family away from where God has called you to be. What is that? Blessed, glorious, wonderful gift. Then my privilege to obey the call of God. How sweet and precious God is to make it easier more palatable by giving me a burden to obey to wish to, 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 to carry out the call that I would have carried out anyway if I didn't have the burden. The burden versus the call. Then of God go home and begin. Quit calling headquarters to see what he's got for you next. He knows where you are. He knows where he puts you. He knows how to contact you. He knows how to lead you somewhere else. Go home. Roll up your sleeve. Burn the overs. Knock on doors. Fill some bus routes. Win folks to Christ. Fill great soul winning churches. Obey the call of God. Still, he finds you doing the what? 